0: Matthew 24:14 Please rise for the reading of God's word And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come This is the word of the Lord Please be seated Uh, well, we've been uh, blessed uh, this past weekend uh, to have our special speaker, uh, Ian Prescott, uh, to come to minister to us. Uh, he's been accompanied by his wife, uh, Anne Marie. We're thrilled to have her as well. Uh, Ian uh, is a uh, missionary with uh, OMF, which is Overseas Missionary uh, Fellowship, where it's uh, Hassan Tater was the founder there he loves the asian people has been serving in east asia for over 30 years and he served in many different places including to the philippines to singapore as well as presently in vietnam he's had a wide variety of of service and a very veteran missionary he served with students with Muslims, uh, with uh, people in the urban uh, port, Uh, has served in many different capacity. He's also has been uh, overseeing in setting up strategy in reaching out to the Asian countries, and we're just uh, blessed to have him uh, come to speak to us this uh, morning. uh, After service during, during Sunday school, we're gonna have a combined uh, Sunday School over in the chapel, so please come uh, and listen to him uh, share the, from the Word of God. So, let's uh, welcome uh, Ian Well,
1: thank you very much for your welcome. It's really been a joy to be here this weekend and to get to know some of you through the different sessions, and to get to know the church and church staff, and to get to know Houston. This is our first time in Houston. Uh, so we're enjoying getting to know this part of the States as well. Um, as you might guess from my accent, I'm not from Houston, uh, I'm not from the States, we're from the UK, uh, but we've been serving in Asia for so many years that nobody can actually tell where in the UK we are from. Uh, that, that level has worn off. We're very glad to be here and to be able to share God's Word with you. And we're going to look this morning just really at one verse, this one verse from Matthew twenty four, fourteen. If you have a Bible open, keep it open, because we may look back at some of the earlier verses. But I want to ask you a question. Are we winning the war? Are we winning the spiritual battle to win the peoples of Houston, the peoples of America, the peoples of this world for Christ? Do you something, sometimes look out at the situation around you or, or look at the people next to you who do not know Christ and wonder why don't they find the good news of Jesus more convincing? Why aren't we as God's people more effective? Why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long? And that question of length was partly in the disciples' minds when they asked Jesus the question that prompted the reply that included this verse. They were up at the temple. The temple was probably the the most impressive building that these disciples ever saw, some of them from the countryside, and to come up to the city and to see this amazing piece of architecture. It was fantastic, and they were pointing it out to Jesus, and Jesus said it will be destroyed. And so they said to him, tell us, when will that happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? How long, O oh Lord, how long? And Jesus says these words, this gospel of the kingdom we will reclaim throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom is first and foremost the good news of the rule of the king. Jesus has spoken a lot about the kingdom of God. It was one of his favorite ways of speaking. When he did so, it was a concept that his Jewish hearers were very familiar with. They knew what the word kingdom meant, and it's not quite the same as it means in our usage today. It didn't mean the physical area ruled by a king. It didn't, I come from the United Kingdom. That's a physical area comprising Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and it confuses most people because we have about... Four different ways of referring to our country. Uh, But we are the United Kingdom. That's a physical domain. Didn't even refer to the people who are under the kingdom he ruled over, but referred to the reality of the rule of the king. And we know, of course, that the king is King Jesus. And when the early church went out preaching the gospel, In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, for example, Philip preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They didn't use the kingdom as often as Jesus used the kingdom because they were speaking often to a different audience. We shouldn't understand the term kingdom as well, but they were talking about the kingdom. And if you zoom forward to the end of Acts, when we get this picture of the gospel has made it to the center of the world, to Rome, and from there is continuing to spread out to the rest of the world. The last picture we get is of Paul sharing with the Jews, Acts 28:23, from morning till evening, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. And then Paul sharing with Gentiles, welcoming all who came to them proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The kingdom, the reign of the King, the reign of King Jesus, the reign of the King who came down to earth, who is not distant, who is not reigning so high up there and so unconcerned, but came down in the incarnation for us Christ Jesus, the King, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what our King did for us. Can we say no, whatever he asks us? to do for him. And he is the king who has conquered, who has conquered sin, who has conquered death, who has conquered the forces of evil, Satan, who has dealt with all the effects of sin, and that is the good news that in whatever way sin has messed up our lives, messed up our relationships, he sets that right. The king who has conquered death, so we do not need to fear death. And I was reading just this last week of a missionary who spent his life with an unreached people group and for many, many years labored to share the gospel with them. And throughout his life, he saw no fruit. They listened, but they didn't turn to Christ. And then he fell ill, and after a prolonged illness amongst the people, he died. And then they all became Christians. And somebody visited that people and said, "Well." Why did you wait? Why did you become Christians now and not then? This poor guy, he spent his life and and never saw any fruit. And they said, well, he kept telling us that if we followed Jesus, we wouldn't fear death. We were waiting to see if it was true. When they saw it was true, they followed Jesus. And this is the king whose reign is becoming clear in more and more lives. And we're living, of course, in what is sometimes called the time between the times, when Jesus has brought in the kingdom, in part, but we wait for the, for the kingdom to be brought fully. In this age, the kingdom is going growing quietly, as more and more people stop following other gods and start following Jesus. We look forward to the time when the kingdom will come in a way that nobody can deny it, when the king will come in glory and everybody will submit to his reign. But we live in that in-between, where the kingdom is coming, but it is growing quietly. It is not now. Abolishing every evil structure. It is not yet demanding the submission of every person. It is coming secretly, in a sense, quietly, perhaps a better way to put it, without always drawing attention to itself, but bringing people to the reign of Jesus, to be released from sin, to be released from fear, and to follow him. When I was a young Christian, I remember I had a collection of. Campus Crusade materials, and I remember very well the illustrations. I don't know if they still use them today, but there was a chair, and I was sitting on the chair, and then the chair was changed, and Jesus was sitting on the chair, and this picture of who is in charge of your life, who is sitting on that chair. I hear one or two people nodding. Either they're still using the materials, or you're as old as I am. (laughs) I'm not sure which it is. And my own experience of coming to Christ, uh, I came to Christ about age 17, particularly through the witness of a friend at school who kept persistently sharing with me and arguing with me. And we loved to argue, at least I loved to argue, and he was ready to argue back, and I found all the difficult things about the Christian faith, the evidence for the resurrection and free will and predestination and the nature of the Trinity and everything, and and we argued. I felt I argued pretty well. I felt I often won the argument. But inside there was another argument going on that I wasn't letting on about. And inside, although I might be beating him at the argument, I was becoming increasingly convinced that Jesus was who He claimed to be. And I was arguing on the outside, not because I didn't believe but because I didn't want to submit, because I realized if Jesus was who He said He was, I needed not just to change my arguments, I needed to let Him take over my life. And there was quite a lot of arguing where I'd lost the argument on the inside, but I was still resisting receiving Christ as King and letting Him take the chair at the center of my life. And when He did that, things began to change. From as early as I can remember, I was going to be an engineer. don't know if there's any engineers here. I seem to have met a lot of engineers here in Houston. (laughs) Uh, But I began to realize after I had made him the king of my life, that actually my plans needed to be set aside, and I needed to say to him, well, this is what I was going to do, but what are your plans? What do you want me to do? No, I didn't get the answer as quickly as I wanted. I, I wanted to fast and pray and get the answer in a day, and it didn't happen. <laughs> but as I continued to pray and I continued to walk with the Lord, he, he led me through an engineering degree and into a year of work as an engineer, and then out of that to further training and to serve as in church planting and Bible teaching. Because He was king, and He was the one who decided what happened with my life. I'm encouraged to see Jesus has changed our lives. And Jesus is changing lives in East Asia, often in quiet ways. I think of one of our team who had been able to, working with a minority in Northern Thailand, had been able to share the gospel with, with a shaman, one of the people that, uh, people in the village went to when they had a problem because he could deal with the spirits. He could make the right sacrifices. He could say the right words. And they thought, this guy seemed to understand. He seemed to actually commit to following Jesus, but they really weren't sure. And then they went back uh, to see how he was getting on, and he said, I had this family come visit me. Their son was so. ill and the medicines weren't working. And they said, please would you sacrifice to the spirits on our behalf to make our son better? And he said, sorry, I'm following Jesus. I don't do that anymore. Oh. But I'll pray to God to heal your son. How much does that cost? Because everything costs. I don't know what the pastors here charge to pray for you. He said, I, I don't charge for that anymore. So he's not only given up his old practices, he's actually given up his old livelihood in following Jesus. And he prayed for the family. They said, yes, yes, we'll have it, especially if it's free. <laughs> and he prayed for the Hamley, And the son was healed. He'd submitted his life to the king. The king who is coming back and this looks forward to that. The king that we find so few people have heard of, one of our team uh, teaches in a university in Hanoi. The easiest opportunities in uh, Vietnam are to teach English like much of the world, except our team member is a Korean and her English is okay, but but not good for teaching. So she teaches Korean, which is a very popular language to learn in Vietnam. Good for jobs, good for a preaching Korean drama, good for K-pop. Things that really matter to young people, you know? But the exercise in her class was each member of the class was to talk about their hero and what their hero had done and why they were their personal hero. So she's the teacher. She has to give the example. So she talks about Jesus Christ and what he has done and why he is her hero. And then she worries a bit because you really shouldn't do this in the classroom in a university in Hanoi, communist Hanoi, um, but nothing went wrong. But what shocked her of her 30 students in probably one of the top two or three universities in Hanoi, 29 are responding, we've never heard of Jesus Christ, who is this guy? They knew nothing. Highly educated people, not people from out in the sticks, they knew nothing. And this good news of the kingdom is good news for the whole world. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. It is to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And the the Greek word particularly means the inhabited world, the world of people. Not, again, focused on geography, but on... People. For a while in OMF, we still are. We we were using the phrase neglected frontiers to refer to those groups of people who who don't really seem to have had very much people devote themselves in mission to them. Unreached people groups, unreached sectors of population, unreached parts of country where there are few believers and few missionaries. But I found I had a problem with our media people. Whenever we wanted a PowerPoint on the neglected frontiers, they would show us beautiful views of uninhabited areas. i I go, I don't want to send missionaries to uninhabited areas. Well, perhaps there's a few of them that I would like to send to uninhabited areas. (laughs) We want to send them to where the people are. Some of those are in beautiful mountainous areas, distant minorities. A lot of those people are crowded into the cities. More than half the world lives in the cities. Our mission today must be about the cities. Wherever there are people, this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed. To all nations, and the word in the Greek is ethni. and you've most probably been told that this word nation doesn't equate to the modern nation-state, this doesn't mean all countries. It means all different peoples, because our countries, of course, are usually composed of many different peoples these days. Exactly what it refers to, I think sometimes people try and fit it in a particular box and say, we've got the exact definition of ethne as used by Jesus, Um, but actually people groups are a sort of fluid thing. The people groups that existed in Jesus' day are not exactly the same people groups as exist today. And people groups have sometimes divided and sometimes united. Uh, The German people were once different tribal groups that were united by becoming Christian and became one people group. The Muslim Uyghur people in China used to be a variety of different people groups, but over time came together as one. But the critical thing is that if we're looking at the sharing of the Gospel, it often happens fairly naturally within a people group. When people get excited about the good news, they want to tell, they want to tell their loved ones, they want to tell their families, they want to pass it on to the people like them. But when it comes to the people not like them, where there are barriers of ethnicity or language or social class or prejudice, usually the good news does not get over those barriers unless we make a determined effort to cross those barriers for Christ. And that is mission, when we don't just take the gospel to those that we easily relate to, but we make the effort to do things differently, to change the way we behave, to learn somebody else's language or culture, to change the patterns of our life, to get alongside them, to change the gospel, to, to share the gospel. I and mean, in many countries of East Asia, which is the part of the world we know, we have one ethnic group with lots of Christians, side by side with another ethnic group, with hardly any Christians. In, a, in an open country like Malaysia, There are quite a lot of Christians amongst the Chinese and amongst the Indians and next to none among the Muslim Malays. In Vietnam, in the minorities, the Hmong minority is maybe 40% Christian. They live next to other minorities like the Numan who have hardly any Christians. In China, there are quite a lot of Christians now amongst the Han Chinese and yet amongst the Amdo Tibetans, um, perhaps 50 or 60. And, and we need this thinking still, that every people group, um, however they define themselves, whoever we try and define them, wherever there is a significant barrier going beyond that people to the next people, that needs a distinct effort to reach them. Because this good news is for all peoples. And the testimony we want to bring is for all peoples, that all would know about the King, all would know about this God, that He's not just our God, but He's theirs. I think of a member of our team who was learning the language of one of the minorities in Vietnam, a group called the uh, Thai Dam. And he was living in the city of Hanoi, he got a language learner from that people group, and he was beginning to learn their language, which surprised them because they felt, nobody can learn our language. We're the only people who speak it. Nobody else from outside can. But he is working hard and and trying to learn it. No formal methods, but just one-on-one with this language helper. And after he's been learning a couple of months, uh, his language helper friend takes him back to the village. And he takes him round the village and introduces him to everybody. Here is my friend, Tim. He's trying to learn our language, but he's not very good and he can't say very much. It really is uplifting to be taken around a whole village and hear everybody being told that. Anyway, he continues learning the language and every few months uh, is able to take a trip up to the village. After quite a while, he is taking up to the village, but this time, It is much more encouraging because his language helper is taking him around and saying, it's my friend Tim again, and he's still been learning our language, and now he's at level three, and he can say quite a lot. And he's thinking, well, they've no idea what level three is, (laughs) these village people. Anyway, one of the people he introduces him to is a little old lady in the village, and she sort of nods her head and, oh, level three, level three. He says, at what level will he learn to talk to the spirits? Because that is the highest level of language, when you cannot just talk to the people, but talk to the spirits. And his language helper said, oh, my friend doesn't want to learn to talk to the spirits, because he can already talk to the Creator God to Om Choi, to Mr. Sky. They have, a, they have a sense of a Creator God, but He made the world, and He's distant, and unconcerned, and uninvolved. And the old lady said, Oh, I would like to hear that. So he prayed. He talked to God in front of the lady, and he thanked God for His creation and for His concern for the Tai Dan people, and I don't exactly know the content of his prayer, and when he finished, the old lady said, Wow, Om Choy, Mr. Sky, knows our language. What impressed her was not that he had learned their language, but that God spoke her language. And they're beginning to see a little fruit uh, in terms of Taidan people becoming Christians, not quickly but it's happening. This gospel will be preached to all nations as a testimony. Uh, And and we live in an era when it's possible to get this message out to all nations. Uh, I was reading an older theologian, a theologian called G.E. Ladd, who wrote in about 1959, and he was talking about all the closed countries. And we live in a time when there pretty much aren't any closed countries. You've probably heard people talk about creative access mission. Uh, And sometimes I hear people talk about creative access mission with a sort of sense that, you know, the people who went before us two or three generations ago, they just saw these countries as closed. But we are creative. (laughs) So we're going to find ways in. Well, the reality was, if you wanted to go To China, after 1950, for the next 20 years or so, China was tight shut. If you wanted to go to Vietnam between 1975 and the late 80s, Vietnam was tight shut. Many parts of the world went through a period where they were tight shut. But we live in a period today when certainly no country in Asia is tight shut. Maybe some of you are thinking, but there's North Korea. There's ways to get a visa for North Korea. Probably not for you, um, but for me and for the rest of the world. And the problem for you is not North Korea. I'm afraid it's your own government. (laughs) Uh, You can't go to North Korea because your own government won't let you, but until a few months ago, the North Korean government did, and we found it was possible to get visas even for a place like North Korea if we had people who were ready to do that. And when we look at these countries, and we talk about creative access mission into these countries, and we recognize that to get into them, we may have to, to bring a professional skill as well as to bring an intention to make disciples. When we say they're creative, it doesn't mean that, we, you know, we really have to squeeze our brains to find some creative way to get in. The opportunities are there. The doors are open to go through and often our biggest difficulty is not finding ways to go in, but finding the people ready to go And at this stage in Vietnam, we feel there is an open door of opportunity. People know next to nothing like those 29 out of 30 students who'd never heard of Jesus. But people are interested and it's relatively easy to get a visa. And most of our team who have a work permit in Vietnam are able to work two days a week, and the rest of the week is theirs to share, to disciple, to build relationships. And there's a period of opportunity, and we don't know for how long, but this good news needs to be preached to all nations, to all peoples. We need to take that testimony about Jesus to them. But it's not just that it needs to be preached. John Piper writes, I don't know any more inspiring missionary promise than this word of Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. Not it should be preached, not it might be preached, but it will be preached. In this particular context, That is not a great commission. This is not a great commandment. It is a great certainty. It is a great confidence. God is going to do this. And sometimes we wonder how he will manage to do this, but God is going to do this. And this is consistent with other things Jesus said. In the Great Commission, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. But he has all the authority. And he will be with us always to the end of the age. When Jesus speaks to Peter and says to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock, which is Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. This is God's mission, and He will accomplish it. This is a promise here, not just a commission. And we are invited to be part of this, because this is what God is doing. I was reading somebody else's mission literature recently, and it said, the millennials are the future of mission. The hope of the world rests on their shoulders. And therefore, we need to mobilize them. Well, I don't know if you're a millennial, I get confused about all these divisions. I have to tell you, if you are, you are not the future of the mission, you are not the hope of the world, Jesus is. It depends on Him, not on us. It is Christ who will build His church, not us. It is Christ who will draw people to Himself. Amazingly, God gives us the privilege of being involved in his work. And somehow the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shines through us. But it is his mission, not ours. And he is doing it. He's doing it often in surprising ways. You're probably aware of the growth of the church in China, which was about a million when all the missionaries were thrown out and all the people who try and count the number of believers in China come up with different numbers, but they generally come up with something around 100 million. God was at work. In Vietnam, the whole country of Vietnam became communist in 1975 when the North succeeded in winning over the South. At that point, there were 160,000 Christians in Vietnam, Protestant, Evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. Forty years later, there are probably 1.6 million Christians. Not quite as dramatic growth as China, but tenfold growth under communism, under difficult circumstances. God is at work. God is at work seeking and saving the lost. In all kinds of different political contexts. He is not thwarted by communism or even by capitalism. Sometimes the latter seems almost more destructive for our faith. And we've seen him at work in big ways and small ways, in big ways like the tenfold growth of the church, and in small ways like finding a lost person. One of the dynamics that we've found has been really helpful in reaching out to some of the minorities in Northern Vietnam is many of them go overseas to work. Many of them go to Malaysia, which is not very far away, mainly to do manual work on building sites and the like. And often they're much easier to reach, and we've got partners uh, in some of the Chinese churches in Malaysia who've seen this opportunity to reach these Vietnamese from the minorities while they're in Malaysia. And one man had become a Christian there, and his details had been passed back to our team. But when you get the details of somebody these days, that means a name and a phone number. But the phone number didn't work. And who knows why, he's lost his phone, he's changed his SIM, you know, you don't know why. And all you know is this guy has come back to Northern Vietnam. How do you find him? Well, pretty much the team had given up. Then we took a group out prayer-walking, and we feel that prayer is so important in breaking through in Vietnam, and we had a team of, I guess, about ten of us We were going to walk around this village praying as we walked and seeking to talk to people as we walk, because we find often as we walk around praying, we meet people who prove to be gateway people into their communities. I'm the field director. I'm supposed to be in charge. My team is taking an awful long time having their breakfast, and I'm wondering whether we'll ever get going. And uh, then we don't seem to be very well organized, and eventually we divide ourselves into three different groups and go off in different directions. And I look at this one group as they walk away, and we've put three tall Caucasian men together. And I go, oh, that was bad planning. You know, Vietnamese are all about so high. So three tall Caucasian guys is really intimidating and not going to get you very far. Anyway, they set off into this village, praying and walking and talking, and they set off down this street, but there's a big dog barking. So these tall, strapping guys are a bit scared of the big dog, so they go down the other street. (laughs) And as they're going down the other street, this guy coming along on a motorbike sort of stops and says, hi, and after a few moments' conversation says, come and have some tea in my house. And he's the lost believer that we couldn't possibly have found. But we just went out praying and asking God to lead us to the people who were had prepared. And God is at work in a little group of believers in that village. There are perhaps 12 people who are following Christ or 12 people who are Learning Bible stories together, and I quizzed one of our team. You know, where are these twelve really at? And he said, "Well, six of them, I think they they really understand the gospel and they're really following Christ. Three, I think they about half understand the gospel, and I really don't know quite where they're at. And about three, uh, you know, they like the meetings, so they're coming along to the meetings. But they're meeting, and each time a member of the team." went out, and wasn't often because it's about five hours by bus to get there. They would gather them together, teach them a Bible story, talk together about the application of the Bible story to their lives, pray for each other, uh, and then eat together. And that happened once every probably five or six weeks when a team member could get there. But then there was a period and the team members weren't able to get out there. But they discovered that in their absence, this little group, had started of their own volition to get together, to retell one of the Bible stories that they'd learned, to talk together about what it meant for them and how they should put it into practice, and to pray for each other, and to eat together. And they said, this little group of disciples has become a church. We haven't even taught them what a church is, but they're already behaving like a church coming together around God's word in story form and putting into practice in their lives. Just some of the ways that God's kingdom is growing quietly in this period as we wait, we wait for the king to return. It's growing despite this period that Jesus says will be a very difficult period with wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and famines and earthquakes and persecutions. And lots of problems in the church, false prophets, and people turning cold. The commentator, Craig Blomberg, says this period of time prior to Christ's return will be characterized by a growing polarization between good and evil. God's people will increase in power, witness, and impact in the world, even as persecution and hostility intensify and global conditions deteriorate. And we're called to be part of that, part of God at work in his world, often quietly, but effectively, reaching all peoples with this good news in preparation for Christ's return. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When will the end come? When will Jesus come back? How can we know when this mission is fulfilled? How close are we to completing the task? How many more peoples to go? I firmly believe that when Christ said that only the Father knows the date and the hour, which is what Jesus says later in this passage, uh, that Jesus didn't give us the tools to calculate the date that he didn't even know himself. Only God knows his exact definition of evangelized. We don't know exactly what he had in mind by ethnic, how big or small these people groups are, and we can't calculate at what point he will be satisfied that the gospel has been preached to all nations and it's time to come back. How close are we to the end? I don't know. And actually, I don't need to know because what we know is that if Christ has not yet returned, the task is not yet done. When it is done, he will come back. Until, it is, until he comes back, it is undone and there are clearly more peoples to reach, more places to go, more people who must hear this good news about the king. And we are both invited and commanded to be part of that, to submit our lives to the king, to make him our king, and then ask him, what role do you want me to play in this taking the gospel to the nations, to the peoples? It's probably a small not in kingdom terms small, but, but, but small and relatively invisible in the context of the world. But it will change lives. It will turn them to the king. It will release them from their bondage to sin. It will enlarge the rule of the king as more people come under it. And I just have to say to you, there is, there is no better way to spend your life than making sure Jesus is the one sitting in the center, on the chair, and everything else, all the other parts of your life, are arrayed around that in proper order, as He is the center, as He directs you what to do. And He has for all of us a part in sharing that good news. For some of us, it's far away in places like Vietnam. For most of you, It will be here with neighbors and friends and work colleagues. For all of this, I think it should be praying. Take that part. Be part of what God is doing. Be part of what He will bring to fulfillment. And then Jesus will return. And then He will rule over every power and authority and we will enter the new age. But until He comes, The task is not finished. Find your part in it and do it.